Gyro Nation Metal. Welcome back, everyone. This is Jeff with Gyro Nation Metal. Fractal Generator is a Canadian metal band from Sudbury, Ontario, who are currently signed to Everlasting Spew Records and describe themselves simply as organisms creating dark harmonic soundscapes. The members of Fractal Generator have the most unique stage names I've ever seen, and by taking a minimalist approach to social media, this band has garnered a shroud of mystery. Fractal Generator released their second album, Macrocosmos, in 2021, and are currently gearing up to release some new music. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with the entire band, so gentlemen, thank you and welcome. Thanks, yeah. great thank you here. very much for having us. As we discussed prior to the episode, there are three of you there. So do you guys mind just introducing yourselves so that the listeners can distinguish whose voice is who? All right. Justin, guitarist. I'm Darren, vocals and bass. And I'm Dan. I'm the drummer. Again, I want to thank you guys taking or thank you guys for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know you guys just wrapped up recording the new album. Is that correct? Yeah. Nice. So whereabouts are you in that stage? Like recording, you have to send it off for mixing and mastering. Do you guys have artwork ready or a tentative timeline? Yeah, we got the album cover artwork uh, probably like a year ago or something. We just wanted to be on top of that because it sucks to wait till the last minute. Um, we went again. Was it Erskine again? Mark Erskine. Okay. Erskine so, Designs. Right. So on the last album, we got Mark Erskine to do the album cover, uh, where we actually commissioned him to create something for Macrocosmos, our second album. And this time we just chose one of his paintings that he had already finished and was trying to sell. Um, and we really liked it and thought it fit this album. So we, we picked that one out about a year ago. Um, and then I think your question was, what point are we at in, in the, th the third album process? Um, we just kind of finalized all our tracks and we're going to be sending it off for mixing and mastering hopefully within the next few days actually nice have you chosen who you're going to be uh, having mix and master your album yeah it's going to be the same person that did our last album so it was stefano morabito uh from italy um he's worked on bands like uh i guess flesh god apocalypse um you guys you know the other ones uh, uh hour of penance i think is another band he did yeah um those are the only two I know. Uh, did he work with uh, what's another band from Italy? One that Tito's always promoting. Uh, Hideous Divinity. Hideous Div did he work with them also? I think he did. Okay, he may have also worked with Hideous Divinity, but I'm not sure. I'm just looking through his list of, uh, of clients, I guess is a good word. And there's a shit ton. Yeah, he's worked with some great bands. And uh, he did an amazing job on our second album. Yeah, so... good to work with. Good guy. Yeah, so we just... Figured, let's just go with him again. <laughs> Why not? He yeah. did a great job last mm -hmm. time. So very professional. And you said you guys are going with Mark Erskine again. Uh, did I say his name correctly? I think so. I believe. Yeah. For you guys, which was easier to actually go and commission him for something specifically for the album or to actually choose something that he's already done? Uh, I think it's easier to choose something he's already done. Uh, just because when you're working with an artist and you want kind of, you have an idea in mind, it can be tricky sometimes. There's some back and forth that you got to do. Um, you know, he'll send the first draft or whatever, and you, you have some changes, and you go back and forth a few times. So um, we've actually worked with artists before, uh, different artists, doing it that way, commissioning them for shirt designs. And all the time, it's actually been pretty difficult. So, I mean, anytime someone has an artwork that's already finished that you love the way it is, that's always the easier way to go. Well, and if it matches exactly what you're trying to put on the album cover, that's a better option. That was bonus. Yeah. <laughs> and plus, you don't even have to, like, think of anything. It's just already there. It's like, yes, this is perfect. And then you can you can sort of use that image to inspire the work that you're doing on the album. Because uh, we weren't finished our album by the time we had the artwork. So we were able to kind of channel that image to inspire us to finish the last bits of the album. That's one way of putting an album together that I haven't yet heard, having like the artwork, the album art inspire the songs or the music to accompany it. Yeah, we had never done that before, but uh, I, I, it's great. Um, I think it's usually just kind of hard to find artwork. I've been in bands before where it's like, okay, let's find artwork. And it's just, it's really hard to just go on the internet and try to find an image that's available to use that suits exactly what you want. Uh, it's not usually easy. So I guess this time we just kind of got lucky and we just found this image we really liked and yeah, we just went for it. And yeah, it's really nice. If we could do that in the future, we will, <laughs> we'll yeah. try. But, especially uh, creating any kind of art, especially music, any bit of inspiration you can get to finish that album. It's great. Really appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. So finding that, finding that image was a, was a good start. Yeah. 
I would assume that finding the actual image itself would be difficult simply because everyone seems to have the same amount of access. And a lot of times uh, I see posts on Facebook, for example, and they're saying art for sale, but then within a few minutes, it's already sold or spoken for. Mm. Yeah, that's true. And we, we had to move fast to get the one that we got because other people were bidding on it and <laughs> we had to make a decision pretty quickly. So it's good that we're still very happy with it because that could have changed because it's been quite a while. That's a risk you take buying album artwork early on in the process is that you might not like it by the time or it might not be fitting by the time you're done the album. And But we still think it's very fitting. So then did you guys have to consciously kind of stay in the same lane whereas where you're looking at the artwork saying this is what I want to use to inspire my music? Did you guys have to consciously think about that as you were creating uh we didn't have to but it helps sometimes like when you kind of get stuck or something you can you know you can just kind of look at the picture and try to channel what it's what's in the image and just use that to kind of give you the ideas you need um i think if you don't do that that's fine also but it's just nice to have when I was looking through your subject matter, I'll talk about this a little bit more later, but I noticed that uh, you guys have like a narrative-based approach to Macrocosmos, and it seemed like it was an extension of Apotheosynthesis. Is this something that's going to continue with your third album, or is this something that just kind of is self-contained, I guess is a good way to ask? Yeah, I think we, we are continuing that with the third album. Um, so, uh, so, the, so Apotheosynthesis, our first album, was um, kind of based on different themes and stuff that uh that humanity deals with in the present day on earth and kind of like extrapolating into the future of like what could potentially happen what could go wrong where could humanity go ideas like that um and then on the second album on macrocosmos uh we kind of extrapolated even further we're like okay what if this is part two of that so Macrocosmos is a little bit more science fiction uh, into the future more. Humanity leaves the solar system and discovers strange new things outside the solar system. Um, and then uh, the next album um, is kind of an extension of that where uh, I should say at the ending of the second album, they discover that the universe is a simulation. Um, so that's kind of the world we're creating is like that it's a simulation. So the third album is um, the simulation sort of malfunctions or collapses a bit and uh, a, a host of new planets enter our solar system ready to be explored. So that's it's kind of all one story, I suppose. And then I guess it's safe to say that it all belongs within the same universe. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Awesome. And then also the albums take place essentially chronologically. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, once you start getting pretty far in the future or science fiction, it, timelines get a bit murky. But but yeah, it, we're, we're trying to move in that direction. Yeah. What kind of timeline do you guys have or approximate timeline, let's say, for when the album is released? Um, that depends on the on Stefano mixing and mastering and then the label uh, whenever their release schedule is. Um, because, I mean, like, we feel like we're just done our part now and whatever happens is a bit out of our control. So um, however long Stefano takes to work on it, I think last time it took him maybe two, three weeks or something like that. He was pretty quick. Um, and then the label itself, they'll want to set a release date at some point in the future so they can do the proper sort of promotion ahead of time. Like, they'll release uh, a couple singles first. I suppose like they'll te like they'll, they'll they'll pick a few songs and release those one at a time sort of a month apart or something before the album comes actually is released yeah, the so album. yeah when everlasting spew is coming out with their release schedule do they want to finish product before they even consider like releasing a single for you guys uh no um i think they trust us based on what we've already done um we have a pretty loose uh contract with them um so we kind of I don't know. We don't have like a really hefty contract signed or anything like that. So it's our relationship with the label is based on trust a lot. And um, I mean, I don't know what would happen if we gave them a really shitty album. Maybe they'd be like, OK, we're actually not going to release this. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. So that hasn't happened yet. So, um, so we'll see, I guess. But uh, no, I think they trust us to, to release quality music. And uh, it, it just goes based on that, I guess. Yeah, they, they mostly just want to be sure that uh, it's complete before they're planning anything. Yeah. And I think 
um the fact that they release it sort of on the schedule that they do like they're not just going to take it right from mix and master and release it right away so i guess that gives them time to hear it first and kind of decide what they're going to do i'm guessing so do they get to choose which singles are put out or is that something that you guys have some input with uh i think we would have sort of the most input on that but we discuss it with them um they're actually they're a great label because they communicate with us a lot so I'm guessing, uh, just like last time with the last album, when it comes time to release the singles, they'll we'll kind of just discuss it. They'll ask us what we think. They'll tell us what they think, and we'll just kind of pick a few songs. It's good that they take a more collaborative approach than just saying, "You've already delivered your product. We're just going to do what we want." Yeah. That's no. Right. Yeah, they're not like that. They're they're very collaborative. No, it feels like we work with them. Yeah. That's always a good feeling, especially when you're putting so much time and effort into your art, and to have like something like a larger label that would essentially treat you as a number rather than a, a group of people would be kind of frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, I mean, not to go off on a tangent, but I was on a, I was in a band that was on a, a German label before that was even sort of bigger than everlasting spew and had a lot more bands. And yeah, we just felt like a nobody on that label and we didn't get any attention. So, um, it's really nice to have a label like the like Everlasting Spew that's that cares about us and is collaborative with us. It's it. I think it benefits them as well to because if I was running a label, I would want to help like I would want to help the bands out a bit and help because certain bands might have certain um, not weaknesses, but just they could use a, a, some pointers in a couple areas. So if you give that to them, then you're just developing your bands. So I think it's good for both sides. Well, and with that approach, it's also just building relationships and that trust, right? Yeah, for sure. Exactly. What made you guys choose Everlasting Spew and how did you guys get hooked up with them? Uh, well, they contacted us initially about, a, I don't know, it was like a year or so after we released Apothiosynthesis. Um, just they contacted us saying they'd heard the album and they were interested in doing a physical release and uh, asking us to work with them. And yeah, we looked into their catalog, looked up checked out their stuff and they seemed like a pretty good reputable label and just went for it and been happy with them ever since yeah when after we released our first album we released it digitally only um self-produced or uh self-released i guess you would call um not on a label um and we had sought out a uh pr company i guess oh, yeah, doer pr doer pr um is what they're called um i think they're actually based out west in canada um and they did some great promotion for us they got us an interview in decibel was it an interview or a review i forget uh, it was either an interview or an album review yeah, or something like some that kind of coverage. i think it might have been an album review in decibel magazine and uh so they did a bunch of great promotion for us we had to pay them a bit for that but it was really worth it because i think that's probably how the label found us um, I think as a band, if you're just going to self-release an album and not do any promotion, you're probably not even going to get found by anyone. Yeah, so reach is very limited. Yeah. On the Everlasting Spew Bandcamp page, it says that all of the songs on uh, Macrocosmos were just as carefully as crafted as the first album. Uh, for you, what goes into crafting the album once you've decided on the songs? And some things I've heard in the past are like song length, the flow of the album, storytelling, all that kind of stuff. Um, for me personally, it's just that like every riff on the album is a great riff that's really all I care about. <laughs> so it's quality of the music above all else. So I should be able to listen to at each riff on the album and be like, great riff, great riff, great riff. That's, that's where I'm coming from. Anyway, I don't know if the other guys have anything to add to that. But yeah. um, I mostly write the drum part. So I definitely in the same way, I, I like to follow guitar and uh, just make sure that it's the perfect beat for that riff. But same deal. Good riff, good riff. There's nothing I'd, I'm like, ah, maybe that should be a little bit different. Yeah, and the song should flow musically as kind of a story. Absolutely, yeah. Um, like, e the way each riff goes into the next riff is also important to me. Anyway. They have fills and uh, changes, all that kind of thing. So when the song's done, you should feel sort of like you went through a bit of a story and each part was amazing. And yeah, that's pretty much all we care about. Um, lyrics for us honestly are not the important part um maybe people are enjoy our lyrics and i do put some work into them but really i'm focusing on music first so um that's where we really care about excelling
And for us, we go through a lot of uh, different stages of, of the song. So a demo will become like two demo, three demo, four demo, and just making more tweaks and more tweaks. I know some bands like to just jump in a studio, write the album, flesh it out. and But for us, it's, yeah, sitting on it for a little while and changing some stuff until we hear the right thing. So you guys create demos in, in a way similar to, like, if you're writing an essay, you create multiple drafts before that portion is finished. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, our f the very first version of a demo when we first write it is usually pretty pretty rough. Like, yeah. when you listen back, it's, you know, it's... You got to use your imagination quite a bit. You got to use your imagination a bit. Sometimes, like, you know, if I write a song and I don't have Dan around to drum, you know, I'll just do the drums, like... I've done the drums on my keyboard before. And so it sounds super rough, but you get the idea of like the riffs and like what, what the song's supposed to be. And then we just keep building on it from there. Yeah, because when you have an idea, it's best just get it down as quick as you can by however means necessary yeah, yeah, before exactly. you lose that idea. Exactly. <laughs> Inspiration is fleeting, so... Yeah, it's easier to lose the idea than to have them sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like the, that you guys take a lot of care and intention on how these songs are built and you want to put out the best product possible, essentially. Definitely. I don't mean to jump around a bit, but I, as we were talking about artwork, something that I thought about with Apothea Synthesis is I read somewhere that you guys did the artwork for the original release yourself. Is that correct? Yeah. So Apothea Synthesis had two album covers. The original album cover we did do ourselves. Um, and then we ran into some legal issues because we're not really artists and we just kind of know how to use Photoshop. So we like maybe some of the items like the we, we kind of Photoshop something together with different like images that we found on the internet. So um, we actually got contacted by one of those images. I don't know if you saw the original one, but there was a, a picture of someone's eye in it. Yep. And the person that owned that image actually kind of came after us, sort of threatening to sue us or whatever. So um, so that's why we actually ended up getting a, a, a different album cover uh, later on for that album so that we would avoid any copyright issues. Oh, okay. I actually thought that the change in the album covers was because you had the physical re-release. That is when it happened. No, no it happened after It that. happened after that. Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. So when we had the physical re-release, I guess we still went with our album cover and then the legal stuff happened maybe a year after that or something. And, and then we printed new covers and yeah. put them in all the CD cases. I like that how how you guys retained like the main idea of the album cover, but then also expanded on it. Like there's a lot more detail in the second version and a lot more color. Yeah, that was a process too. Just trying to. Yeah, I actually, yeah, that so that was a different artist. Uh, I forget his name. Does anyone remember? No, I no. can't remember. Okay, so I'll think about it. I'll probably remember. I guess he used um, our album cover as a starting point, but uh, the first version he gave us was very different from what we ended up going with. I remember. Um, I remember being pretty unhappy with the first version he gave us and uh, we had to make like a lot of tweaks to that until we were finally happy with it. But yeah, it came out pretty cool in the end. So it was uh, Seals of Blackening. That's right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Seals of Blackening. I don't remember the artist's name, but uh, I don't believe that page is up anymore because we contacted him to do our last album cover too at one point and lost contact with him and I haven't uh, seen any presence of him online for a while. That always sucks when you have a decent relationship or at least a good working relationship with somebody and they kind of just fall off the face of the planet. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, yeah. And we like this art style too. It's up our alley, you know? He had a very like fractal art style. Like uh, in some of his other works, you could see like patterns that were like fractal patterns. So like it went really well with, with our themes. Yeah. So what made you use the name Fractal Generator? Um, It was a name that I actually had come up with a long time ago. Uh. And around the time that we did our first demo, I don't know how far back you looked on us, but most people are able to find that we had a demo in 2007. Mm -hmm. um, so around that time, I had come up with the name and I just thought it was a really kick-ass name. And uh, the demo was sort of, the band was a different thing at that point. Like we don't necessarily consider it uh, part of the fractal generator canon if you want to say because we, the band was a, a totally different thing at the time um it, it was like, it was experimental at that at that time yeah it was something that me and dan and another uh guy who's not in the band anymore uh who did vocals on that album it was something we just kind of wanted to do for fun and it was just a one-off kind of thing and then later on when we kind of got this project together we just said fractal generator would be a great name for it um, so we just kind of took the name from from that 
and uh, continued on with it. So when you came up with Fractal Generator and we're already working on that first demo, did you guys already have a musical or even theatrical direction in mind? Or is that something that came after the hiatus? On the first demo? Um, I, yeah. Um, so musically, that first demo, I think, uh, if I'm to be very honest, was inspired by a specific album by uh, the Quebec band Gore Guts. Yeah. Um, their album called Obscura. Um, so we had heard that album and we're just kind of in love with it. And we thought it was really fresh and different. So we kind of wanted to do our own spin on what that album was doing. Um, so musically, that was the direction for that demo. And lyrically, uh, the themes were kind of the same as what we're doing now, just kind of, uh, sci-fi sort of philosophical sort of lyrics, I suppose. Actually, that uh, that demo was written drums first, too. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. all the songs on that demo were just drums at one point and then built off of that. Yeah. Interesting. Improvised drum tracks, yeah. I might add. <laughs> yeah, drums. yeah. So it's it's kind of a messy listen when you listen to it. It's very improvised, the whole thing. So, But a lot of people like that demo. So it's I guess it's cool that it's still out there. But we don't necessarily consider it part of, like, but the current incarnation of fractal yeah and yeah. is part of our thing. it was something different at that time. yeah would you or have you ever considered like a re-release of the demo with i guess updated everything uh no not really um yeah it's not something we've considered on the last album there was a song that kind of took some inspiration from one of the demo songs so there was that um but yeah i don't think we'll ever yeah because we don't see it attached to this project i, I... Like if it was, I, I would consider re-releasing that now that we're older and, uh, you know, we have more talent, I guess. But uh, yeah, it was, it was just kind of a different thing. And we'd rather just start writing new stuff than go back and try to rehash that. Yeah, fair enough. Which which song on Macrocosmos was the one inspired by the demo? Mm, let's see if I can remember. I... It, it might even be, I might even be messing it up. It might be one of the songs on the third, the new album. Okay, I think it's Serpentine. Is it Serpentine? It might be the song Serpentine, yeah. Okay, that's cool. On Macrocosmos. What caused you guys to go on hiatus originally? Well, it wasn't really a hiatus. Um, it was more of just, we did this album and we just didn't see it as anything. It was like a studio project. Like it wasn't really a band. Uh, it was just an experiment that kind of actually the other guy that was in the band at the time, the vocalist had a, a label, uh, like an indie label. So we did this album for fun and didn't think anything of it. But he was like, no, this is a great album. I'm going to release it on my indie label as an EP. And so that's probably why it got more traction than it actually would have. Um, so it, it wasn't really a hiatus. It was more of just, we did this thing back then. We called it Fractal Generator. But then years later, um, we started a different band with Justin in it this time. And uh, just saw it as something thing. different. But yeah, we just took the same name. So um, I don't know if you'd call that a hiatus, but uh, it doesn't feel like a hiatus. It feels like starting a new band and stealing the old name. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like a rebirth or an evolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. For listeners that are current with your first two albums, how is it different from the the demo? And what are some of the things that actually that's just a better question? Like, how is it different from your demo? I haven't actually heard that one. So well, like I mentioned, the demo is written very much through improvisation. So when you listen to it, it's a bit rough. It's a bit simple. It's very rough. Um, like this is 2007, too. 2007 that it came out um, and we wrote it through improvisation. So that's definitely not the way we do it anymore. Um, we spend a lot of time on our songs. So I think our, our full albums starting at Apotheosynthesis are a lot more thought out and kind of planned out and more conventional. Um, the demo was cool for what it for what it is. Um, it had a really neat kind of sound to it. Um, but it's, it doesn't feel like fleshed out. So I guess that's probably the biggest difference. Um, also, like we didn't have Justin in the band at the time, so um, all the things that he brings, um, all the riffs and stuff like that, um, you wouldn't hear that influence on that demo. So, so I know we chatted about this a little bit before starting the recording, but there's obviously some mystery surrounding the band. 
I couldn't find many past interviews. You don't stay terribly active on social media and pictures are hard to come by. So was the mystery something that you intended when Fractal Generator was formed? I th I think it was kind of yeah. like we might not have thought about it a lot, but uh, um, me personally, I've I've always been into black metal a lot. So um, there's a lot of anonymity and not using your real name and covering your face in black metal that I always thought was really cool because it kind of you could create sort of a, like uh, like a character mm -hmm. um, like you're. You, you feel like you're listening to supernatural beings making music rather than just regular people like you. So uh, I think it's just kind of a cool name. It's kind of a cool thing to to do in that aspect. Yeah, and just a sense of mystery. I, I've always liked that in bands. It, it kind of adds to the imagination when you're listening to the music because you don't have a lot to fill those gaps for you. So you use your imagination and everybody uses it differently, right? So paints their own picture exactly and it definitely yeah. adds to um like the science fiction theme like if you're using your imagination a lot more rather than just yeah, for sure on stage yeah like right from the starting we try we're trying to be very science fictiony we're really trying to incorporate that um we're trying to be very uh imaginative and mysterious so yeah it just felt like why use our regular lame boring human names and stuff. <laughs> it's and, like yeah. the equivalent of like reading a good book and then they create the movie and then now if you read the book again you just picture the actor's head actors faces instead mm. of the, a character your your mind created mm. yeah it's actually a great comparison i never thought of it like that but it's true yeah that's like a yeah sort of mystery to the music and a little extra yeah let's the user uh, the listener sorry use their imagination a lot more yeah it's cool I was also reading online that you guys had used um, essentially like stage outfits, but I couldn't find any videos with any kind of outfit, just like your face is darkened. So do you guys still wear the outfits? And if so, what do they look like? Where did you see that we use outfits? I have no idea. <laughs> okay. I was just trying to read um, everything I possibly could about you guys. And someone, okay. some site mentioned that you guys wore masks or uh, outfits and I couldn't okay. find anything. So we Mostly for pictures we have for like, yeah, like our, us. our band photo for the second album, we had masks on, um, live we don't necessarily wear masks usually um but i i guess we sort of pay attention to what we wear to make it seem cooler looking or, or a bit well maybe a little bit science fiction looking but, yeah, know, but we, i wouldn't say costumes so. no i wouldn't call them costumes uh so yeah i wouldn't say we wear costumes live so um maybe just in our band photos a little bit but yeah I just saw on Spotify here, and it's the one place I didn't check for any information, but I do see your guys' masks that are like reflective orbs, essentially. It's pretty cool. Yeah, nice. mirror masks. Yeah. Are those hard to breathe in? A little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing to play. And I've been in other bands where we've played in costumes, and when it's a really hot venue and trying to focus on playing while wearing these really hot costumes, it's got to be a very good costume, a breathable and then I would consider it now, you know what I mean? Yeah, extreme metal causes you to breathe hard and sweat. So <laughs> when you're in uh, when you're in a, a full costume that's not breathable, it's it gets really shitty, Damn. especially as drums. With the intensity of, of metal, like I just can't imagine it being fun to wear outfits on stage. Like it just seems like it's a whenever you guys play a set, it's basically a workout. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a workout, but it it is it is also kind of fun to wear a costume because you're you can be someone else for that moment, and you can not worry about your own self consciousness and stuff like that. Yeah, so you can make it more theatrical. Mm. One thing I thought was really unique, and I touched on it in the introduction. So your stage names are numbers. They work perfectly with your focus on the science fiction themes, at least in my opinion. For anybody who's not familiar, it's a sequence of numbers, not just binary. For example, one of the stage names is 0401818080514. My question here is, how did you each choose a specific number and what meaning do the numbers have behind them, if any? Uh, so I guess we'll give it away. Uh, the numbers are just codes. Um, I don't know if there's a, a name for this coding system, but if you give uh, A01, B02, C03, and so on, all the way up to Z26, I guess, um, then you basically just have our first names yeah. as those numbers. So they're just our first names. They're just our first names <laughs> coded into that number system. That's cool. Yeah. Well, and you guys mentioned before we started recording the uh, location on your Facebook page, and I thought that was a really unique way of doing things as well. Yeah. Yeah, um, I hope people 
plug that into Google <laughs> yeah, Earth or whatever and think that we dam in three miles. I, I forget how deep Snow Lab is. It's something like kilometers underground. It's a few kilometers or something like that <laughs> underground. Uh, I hope that they think that we jam down there. So that'd be pretty neutrino cool. Lab. In, <laughs> in a scientific lab studying <laughs> neutrinos. They're underground to try to not have like noise mess up their research, but we're jammed down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they lock you in a soundproof room until you're gone. <laughs> in reading about your band, I've noticed that there are quite a few separate descriptions of your music and what elements you choose to incorporate. Tech death, obviously, experimental, black and death metal, grindcore, etc. So where do you guys feel your music is best placed in the metal spectrum? Or what kind of classification would you guys prefer? Um, I think we just kind of uh, meld all of our influences together. Um, I mean, primarily, I guess we're a death metal band, right? I don't think you can ignore that there's death metal in it. Um, but yeah, we have, you know, all, all of those genres you just mentioned, we work in also because we like those genres. Um, you know, I think we get called grindcore just because we're fast. But I don't know how much we listen to grindcore, uh, but maybe a little bit. Um, I think we're really coming at it from like just black metal and death metal and just trying to make it really unique. So um yeah so we that's what we do and we get called all sorts of different things and we get compared to different bands that we don't even listen to so um i mean what people call it is out of our hands so um yeah i think that's where we come at it from i'm not sure how to classify it exactly i wouldn't want to have a band where it's there's a clear classification mm -hmm. um i like to keep it a little bit open so we can work in whatever influences that we happen to want to try to do for whatever next album that we do Melodic death metal is another one that I want to keep trying to incorporate. Um, just like influences from like the Swedish melodic death metal scene of the 90s or whatever. Um, have a bit of that, but keep it very dark is like a cool thing, I think. Yeah. And some like industrial elements. And too. industrial as well. Yeah. Sorry, guys. I'm just um, looking at your pages, I guess, on the metal archives here. And there's two other nicknames, I guess, Frost and Vesper. Where did those come from? And how do they tie into Fractal Generator? Uh, those were me and Dan's names from our previous band, Wolven Ancestry. Okay. So we were kind of like a folkish black metal band um, back in the day in the late 2000s. And um, those were the names we had for that band. So uh, we were both really just into black metal at the time and black metal stage names. And I guess um, it ties into... Uh wearing costumes on stage and <laughs> yeah. having something breathable <laughs> yeah yeah we, we we actually had pretty heavy costumes with that band so yeah for sure um we we would wear the corpse paint and we had like costumes of spikes and fur and stuff like that so yeah so uh there's not really any i don't know if like the two of us had any special meaning behind the names we chose for that not really no they're just we just thought they were cool names hmm, fair enough Darren, is it safe to say that you're in charge, basically in charge of writing the lyrics? The lyrics? Yeah, yeah I guess so. Yeah. Okay. I, I like the fact that you guys tell stories in your albums, and I'm just wondering if you have much experience in writing outside of music. Um, I did when I was younger. Like, I used to write like poetry and stuff like that. Uh, and like, I, I used to go to university and I was studying English and stuff. So I don't know if that counts. I had to write a lot of essays and stuff like that. But other than that, I don't really do much writing of lyrical or poetic things anymore so uh so not really for you what are some of the benefits and drawbacks of storytelling in like a song format and do you ever feel creatively limited due to the amount of uh, say text or lyrics that can be included in a song i do feel limited by the song format because when you're writing lyrics you're writing something that's going to become audio after so when you write a poem that's not going to become audio necessarily. That's just going to be text that people are going to read. Um, but when you write lyrics, you're going to sing those after. So, um, so part of it has to sound good. Like sometimes you can write really cool lyrics, but the amount of syllables or the, or the letters that are used in the words just don't really sound that cool. So there's a certain limitation there where you have to like make it also sound cool. Cause I, I really care about that. Like I care about the vocal patterns especially it being death metal where you're just doing like death metal vocals, you're kind of doing a percussive instrument almost. So you want it to sound really cool. So the lyrics sort of have to have the right amount of syllables, the right like letters used in them so that it sounds nice. Uh, so that's something I focus on a lot. So I find that is a bit limiting. And also the fact that you're 
you can't really write a whole story. You can't be like literal with things. You can't say, okay, they did this and then they did this. And then, you know what I mean? Like you have to get very like uh, figurative, I guess, and poetic. So I struggle with that a little bit sometimes, um, but I make it work. So I guess it's in the end, it's, it's fun. And in song format, you're kind of banking on the fact that listeners will be using their own imagination to fill in those gaps. Yeah, exactly. So I find when I'm done with lyrics, sometimes I'm like, man, I don't know if people are going to really know what I meant here. Like, there's so much interpretation that can happen. Like, there's so much imagination that you have to use to get to where I was thinking that these lyrics mean. So, yeah, there's a lot of imagination. So I don't know if people take my lyrics exactly as I meant them or not. But uh, in the end, I don't really care. You know, they're just they're cool lyrics. And I, I like just inspiring ideas in other people so if they have some other weird idea from it then that's cool too one thing that you touched on is that you don't just pay attention to the flow of the the lines but you also focus on this far down as the syllables of each word that's uh, pretty incredible and very much they're very detailed yeah well uh as i mentioned before we really care about the music kind of above all else like you know i'm i'm not typically a vocalist uh, in most other bands I've been in, I've been like guitar or whatever, whatever other instrument. So I'm usually not a vocalist. So we don't really have a true vocalist in our band. So really, the three of us are always focused on like the music being good. Um, so if, you know, the vocals are kind of something we throw in after and we want them to sound good as well, because we come from that music, like we want the music to sound good. So the vocals also have to have a good sound to them. Um, so I don't want like lyric lines that have like clunky uh, syllables in them, you know, I don't want to, I want it to like sound really nice. You know what? I would probably call you a vocalist at oh, this stage. Yeah. Wow. Good, man. Oh, thank you very much. I guess maybe I've graduated vocalist <laughs> yes. at this point. <laughs> 10 years later. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned that it's not just you kind of in charge of the vocals, like Justin, you do vocals as well. Do one of you guys take charge more often or is it kind of like an equal share? Uh, mostly Darren does the vocals. I do backups and sometimes I do my own lines. Okay. Yeah, he wrote, uh, Justin, you wrote entire, like, you wrote almost entire songs, I think, of lyrics. Um, In the first two albums. I first did two albums, you did, like, one or two songs per album of lyrics, so. Yeah, that's right. Not so much on the newest one. The newest one, Darren took the bulls by the horn on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I wrote all the lyrics on the new one, but... Uh, and then on the songs that he did write in the past, I probably still did most of the vocals for them. But yeah, uh, yeah. He's, he's got some input for sure. So all three of you are obviously are a fan of science fiction and that goes without saying, but what are some of your favorite sci-fi series? So books, film, video games. And my second, my follow-up question to that is what makes a good sci-fi story? Um, I think Justin's the biggest sci-fi fan in the band. Like, uh, I can't speak for Dan, but for me, like, I am a sci-fi fan, but I'm only a fan of very specific works of sci-fi. Um, so I'm not really like the type of sci-fi fan that goes out and enjoys all sorts of sci-fi, if if that makes any sense. But uh, I'll yeah. let Justin answer that question. Yeah, for me, I anything that I can get my hands on, I watch for the most part, or games, you know, like the Mass Effect games were pretty big inspiration on me story-wise, and a lot of like star trek stargate uh, anything with star in it i guess <laughs> except star wars yeah. i like the yeah. intention on mass effect there because i thought uh, like i wasn't a huge fan of the original only because it was so empty but with them remastering it and just with the amount of lore behind it the cultures the different races and stuff like that it's completely flushed out and one of the parallels i drew on that was star trek because of this pretty much the exact same thing yeah, for sure. I agree with that completely. I saw that too. And uh, the, the, the amount of detail they had in it and the alien races and the planets and everything, like they got really down to every last detail with that game. And I found it pretty inspiring, actually. And one of the things they did that was really unique is being able to travel from planet to planet. I thought that was a really cool way of doing it. Yeah, it was a unique way too, because it hasn't, it's not something that had been done in other sci-fi movies or shows that i'd seen before and when you watch as much as i've watched you know that a lot of ideas are recycled and just kind of presented differently so seeing a new fresh idea is uh, pretty cool and surprising so yeah i was pretty pumped by that idea too i think the only other video game that comes to mind when talking about like space travel and actually jumping into other planets and i can't remember the name uh it had a really no, sorry what was it 
No Man's Sky. Yes, that's, that's the one. one I was that, say No Man's yeah, Land, but or No Man's Land. Yeah, that's No Man's Sky is what it's called. Or No Man's Sky. Yeah, yeah it's Sky. I think I haven't actually played that one yet. Apparently, it's pretty good now, but I'm not going back. Like, I have played it. Probably, I don't know if there's how many updates are now. I played it about a year ago, and it was getting really good. Like, I know they didn't have a good uh, starting when that game came out, so I ended yeah. up trying it way later, and it was getting better. I think they shit the bed with the original release. Like, there was a lot of yeah, for... and that's why I didn't try it Absolutely. originally. Yeah, that's why a lot of people didn't. Switching gears just like a little bit, and I know this isn't a rule, but there's quite a bit of overlap in genres and subject matter. But to me, like tech death is a perfect type of metal for science fiction. So, for you guys, do you think that sci-fi lends itself well to better to certain genres, and if so, which ones? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that's I, for me personally. That's why I wanted to do this band was that I felt metal was heading in a direction where um, it kept getting heavier, it kept getting more technical, kept getting more like better produced i guess like sound wise um with all the technology that's coming out for recording and mixing and to me it just started feeling like this science fiction kind of thing um where it was like i could just listen to like a technical death metal album and it just sounds science fictiony to me it sounds spacey it sounds science fiction even if it if, if that's not what it's about um so to me it was like okay if we're gonna play this kind of music I think that's what the lyrics should be about. It just seems to go so well. Um, and other genres may also do that, you know, like industrial or techno or something, I guess, also. But in terms of, like, metal, um, I think if you're going to go the sort of heavier, more technical, overproduced sort of metal, um, yeah, why wouldn't you sing about science fiction sort of stuff? Like, it just goes so well. Yeah, you could have a lot of really dark themes like, with that can also be very colorful and imaginative and there's, there's only so many directions you could go and have something feel dark and mysterious and heavy and either you're gonna be like a satanic subject or a gore subject or a horror you know and like but i find with sci-fi you can kind of touch in a lot of different directions and you could it's like you have free reign you know <laughs> use your imagination there are some other bands like in different metal genres that are taking a science fiction approach and Two of the bands that come to my mind are Vorga and Vector. Like they do science fiction very well in black metal. I haven't heard of the first one, but Vector is a band that we've listened to a bit. Yep. Uh, Justin mostly, I think. Yep. Um, I always thought the interesting thing about Vector was that they tuned their guitars up a half step. Yeah, apparently they do, yeah. So they're actually like up-tuned from standard tuning. Um, and I guess they're sort of progressive thrashy sort of stuff yeah, i guess a thrashy sound to them so i guess that sort of works for them because they're not really like a death metal band um no they're not so a they kind of metal interesting yeah yeah exactly <laughs> uh yeah and from what i've heard of vector i like them a lot so yeah i'm not a huge listener like i've listened to uh i've listened to their albums but i've only i can't say i haven't enjoyed their music but i think there are only a couple songs that really stick out for me yeah they they seem really creative they got cool like progressive riffs and stuff like that that i liked a lot i think originally my my first apprehension was just the, the style of vocals uh, i wasn't quite into that style just yet and i think that it's grown on me over the past couple of years yeah i like i find it's pretty unique but i get what you mean it, it grew on me a bit too now moving into more personal direction so obviously you guys are all musicians um when was it that you guys got into heavy music and who are some of the bands that got you hooked heavy music uh well I guess the first metal I got into was probably new metal. So I don't, you know, that's, it's a little bit embarrassing. It's not something I want to talk <laughs> about too much because it's not something I'm into anymore. So, um, but that would have been, you know, when I was like 12 and 13 and stuff and listening to corn and uh, bands listening like to much loud back in the day. Yeah. Loud on much music was a yeah. good show back in the day to power learn. 30 power hour when it got turned into power 30 and it was only half an hour long <laughs> justin's the only one that remembers power 30 because he's older than the, the other two yeah. of us so for us it was only loud how old are you if i may ask i'm 35 okay so i'm 36 i don't I'm know power old. 30 but i do know yeah much. yeah i'm 36 and i don't remember power 30 so i'm 40 <laughs> justin's 40 so it was bad it was on back then so but uh yeah just much music and then the internet came around and obviously everybody went and found exactly what they wanted but before that it was uh you know new metal and just whatever would play on loud i guess you yeah. just kind of that's where i got most of what 
got me into heavier music mm -hmm. was when I was young. Then, like, some of my cousins would share music with me that I hadn't heard and I thought was cool, but much music, yeah. Plus bands like Hypocrisy, that uh, Roswell 47 video, uh, had a pretty big impact on me and, and Heartwork, Carcass video. Cradle of Filth was a big one for me and Dan. Mm -hmm. That's a that's a unique turn because like Cradle of Filth is quite different than what you guys put out. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I feel like really like if someone's a huge fan of old Cradle of Filth, they would maybe they could draw that connection musically because uh, they're like more of a black metal band, so they don't do a lot of death metal vocals, mm -hmm. I guess. But uh, I think musically you could draw the connection if you really know Cradle of Filth well, because because uh, they're a huge influence on me. So I'm sure it sneak the influence sneaks in there. I think what they were great at is just like writing a lot of good riffs. And like I said earlier, like making sure that every riff on your album is great. Um, I sort of stopped listening to Cradle of Filth after like 2000. So um, I can't speak for their albums after that, but their stuff like in the 90s and stuff was just amazing. So to this day, I love those albums. <laughs> you mentioned you only listened to them until about 2000. Was that in part due to Midian? Uh, I'm not terribly familiar with their discography and I've heard some... I guess, mixed reviews about Midian? Midian's great. I think it's an, a great album. It's mm -hmm. after Midian that I don't really care about. Oh, okay. It's like uh, Nymphetamine or something? After like? Midian, there was like Damnation in it. Oh, day. yeah, Damnation. Yeah, no. I didn't same, really... Same, I, didn't I didn't like the direction they took after Midian, so I kind of stopped listening to them at that point, and I got more into like Norwegian black metal, like Emperor and stuff like that, so... Like we had mentioned, we were in a black metal band previous, so a lot of bands we were listening to early days were black like emperor and dark throne and cradle of filth and satiricon satiricon and then slowly just as demu yeah demu as metal has moved forward you know in their lives and taken more music and get influenced by other stuff so now it's just turned into this i guess <laughs> more into the death metal <laughs> we grew side. out of the black metal yeah, want something different. For sure. We still, I still love black metal, but for I, sure. I like yeah, for sure. the the thing about early black metal is that it was very pure and it didn't want to incorporate elements of other metal genres because it wanted to be like pure black metal. Whereas like now, as a, like a more mature listener, like I I love black metal, but I I, I want it to incorporate the other genres as well. So mm -hmm. your taste develops over time. Yeah, for sure. Totally. Mm -hmm. With that said, like I noticed that there's a lot of blurred boundaries when it came to different sounds in different metal genres so obviously there's merit both ways like having a straight black metal or straight thrash but what do you guys think about having so many elements incorporated to a single sound like obviously you guys experiment a little bit some bands are all over the place uh, i guess there's probably such thing as being too all over the place but i do like when a band's kind of all over the place because i do find it more interesting I, I like to hear something that goes from like genre to genre within a song i, I just think it's interesting to listen to i don't know it doesn't get boring yeah, and in a way, it kind of it kind of increases that roller coaster ride. So long as it's done well. Yeah, exactly. Currently, who are some of your favorite bands or bands on heavy rotation? Um, one of my favorite these days, probably. I like I don't keep up with a lot of new music. I don't listen to a lot of stuff compared to some people, but I really like um, Gorguts. Uh, they're album from 2013 called colored sands i just think that album's fucking amazing um I, I feel like every five years or so there's an album that comes out that i'm like yes this is another great album you know but it's like so rare that it happens but uh but that one for me is really big um uh ad nauseum is doing some cool stuff that sounds a lot like sort of gore gutsy kind of stuff um and that's just like the dissonant kind of almost sometimes doomy death metal um very dissonant and very dark and heavy um but not not necessarily like what you would think of as like tech death or something f like very fast or anything like that um what about you guys what are you guys listening to these days as for me i, I probably have like the biggest catalog of different type of music to listen to i'll listen from Nabo Scaris to periphery to you know, right now I'm listening to Sludge a lot, which Justin got me into actually, and uh, I'm, I'm all over the place for listening to music. But uh, yeah, I don't really dislike a, a lot of music. <laughs> I do. I dislike a lot of music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, I'm I have a pretty uh, 
random list these days, mostly because I've just been listening to so much death metal and stuff for the longest time. I'm just really all over the place. Like today I was listening to old Sonic Youth, <laughs> you know, like I listen to a lot of Nine Inch Nails and hip old hypocrisy and stuff. Uh, I've been checking out a lot of industrial bands lately, actually. The name of the one I was listening to. Uh, Frontline Assembly. Yeah, I sent it to you. That's right. Yeah. Frontline Assembly. I've, I've never really listened to them before, and I recently acquired uh, a liking for them. I'm also forced to listen to Canadian rock uh, news stations at work. <laughs> uh, that sucks. Uh, a lot of Nickelback and stuff. Surprisingly, no. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that, like, there's a lot of good songs. Obviously, that come the Black on, Keys. Every day, it's just kind of the same songs. <laughs> sucks not to have variety. Lannis Morissette. <laughs> is she still around? Is she, is she still making music? I think so. I don't know how much she still makes me new music. It's hard to keep up with like artists that were like big at a certain time. It's like, how would you even know if they kept releasing new albums, you know? But uh, I hope she is. <laughs> I, I, I think her old stuff was pretty cool. Yeah. This is a complete departure from rock, but I found out that Busta Rhymes put out an album quite recently. I'd say within the last year, year and a half, and I listened to it once. I'm like, never again. I'll just stick with the stuff. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah stick with the old. Especially when an artist is sort of like already on the fringe of what you would normally like. You know, it can be very hit or miss, I guess. Over time, when you try to stay relevant for so long, it just inadvertently like collapses on itself in a way. And I, th I think that what yeah. Buster Rhymes did back in the day, and a lot of other artists too, but since we're talking about him, he did a lot of very unique things for rap. But then now it's just it's not as unique. It's not as it doesn't have as high quality, I guess. Yeah, I think uh, I think there's certain artists that come out with something really fresh and, and unique like that when they're kind of in their younger age, and then they get kind of rich and famous and. I think it can be very hard to keep up your creative juices flowing to keep topping what you've done. So I think they just kind of use their money to pay um, like producers and stuff to kind of write the stuff. And I also find it's hard to uh, stay original in hip hop because, and especially because the trends move so quickly and then you're trying to find them the right one. And then you're forced to like sometimes write stuff you don't want to just because that's what's trending. And yeah. I think one of the biggest problems is them trying to stay with what's trendy. Exactly. It moves way too quick. And One of the reasons I like metal is because a lot of the artists choose to do what they want and they don't really focus on how many listeners they're going to have or how much radio play they're going to have. They're just focusing on what they enjoy and they put out music that they've listened to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I guess my last question for you today, guys, is moving back into your history. When did you start to get learn your respective instruments and what was the first song that you felt you truly nailed? I'm still waiting to nail a song. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, well, I, I originally started with guitar and, and woven ancestry. And then being in a smaller city like Sudbury, it's, it's hard to find drummers. Even in a big city, it's hard to find some parents that were willing to listen to their kids' obnoxious drumming and trying to learn the instrument. I was lucky enough to have good parents for that. And uh, uh, I... I don't know specifically which year it would be I started drums, but I think you probably started drumming right around the time that Wolven Ancestry started. So 2007 or 2008. Yeah, or around. Yeah, I would say around 07, 08, picking up drums and then. And you were good right off the bat. <laughs> you were just good at drums naturally. Like you're so much better than I am naturally. <laughs> but uh, I stuck with drums just because there's no drummers ever. So kind of got pushed off a guitar and onto drums because everybody needed drums. <laughs> yeah, there's no drummers at all in Sudbury and yeah. you had to become the drummer. <laughs> there, there's a few more now, though. Now you're a sought-after community... Uh, I just forgot the word. <laughs> sought-after sought commodity. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, up, up till recently, he was in a handful of bands there, and now there's only two. There's only two now, yeah. It's better to use the time to uh, put into the project and stuff splitting up your time and not being able to put as much effort into the projects as you would like to. Yeah. You don't want to spread yourself too thin mm -hmm. with too many bands. Yeah. Um, I've been playing guitar since I was like 11 or 12 and I've tried to, my thing was like, I didn't care about getting super good at any instrument. I just wanted to be able to play as many different instruments as I could. So like I'm okay on piano and bass and I'm okay on drums and, so I can play anything, but I can't really excel at any of them. So that's why I'm bass in Fractal. <laughs> <laughs> Do 
do you think that working uh, i guess i lied when i said this is my last question but do you think spreading your your talents into multiple instruments has hindered you or has helped you out it's hindered certain things and helped other things yeah, like a double-edged sword yeah like it's hindered me in that like you know i can't pick up an instrument and just like impress anyone at what i can do on it but <laughs> At the same time, I think it's given me like a fuller sort of wider understanding of like music and how to create a song using all the instruments and stuff like that. So it's good in that way. It's good as a songwriter, I guess. It says that you've also uh, done cello for the band. Is that I didn't hear any. Cello, uh, but I, I'm not terribly familiar <laughs> with it. We've all done cello for the band. Interesting. Okay. Um, we actually it's the thing we've been doing since that demo is because um, I've always had a cello lying around. And if you play it wrong, um, it can actually make these really cool, like mechanical sounds. <laughs> is, that what, um, is that what does that in the music? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. really cool. So some of the sound effects you hear are, are, might be done on a cello, actually. Yeah. That's awesome. I was listening to your album yesterday and I noticed some of those sounds and I'm like, I don't know why I didn't pick up on these before, but I really like that you're using a cello in the wrong fashion to do that. <laughs> yeah, because if you use a cello in the right fashion, what you're going to get is just this melodic cello sound, which is not really what we want in our sound. Like, we're not against that, but yeah. we just, the reason we use it is to get those weird mechanical sounds when you kind of just fuck around on the cello and don't do it right. Um, we discovered a long time ago that you could do that. So yeah, we're so just like, take turns and try to make noise over the songs and pick what works. <laughs> yeah. So we just thought, why not keep that as like part of our sound, kind of? So I'm just looking at a picture of the cello here when I'm um, when I'm asking this question because I'm trying to envision what it looks like to play it wrong. What do you guys do? <laughs> well, uh, I think it's mostly that we just don't know how to play the cello. So um, <laughs> it's not that we intentionally do anything. It's just what comes out. But basically, when you're bowing the strings, if you don't bow it properly, it kind of squeaks instead of like producing a, a the typical cello sound. So you can take that squeak and kind of add like reverb to it or whatever. And it sounds like this sort of industrial or like mechanical yeah. kind or, of sound. Or playing it before the bridge uh, makes a really high pitch. Yeah, you can play on the other side of the bridge yeah. that you're not and supposed to play good, on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or do all kinds of weird things that screw up the bow. Yeah, break, break the bow, basically. Yeah. So the bridge, um, it's kind of similar to the look of like an the neck portion on a guitar almost is that what the bridge is or is that the thing that kind of keeps the strings separate from the instrument uh, yeah yeah the... yeah the thing at the bottom that kind of pushes the strings up into a point okay um it's like usually just like a little wooden a rounded wooden piece mm -hmm. that the strings sit on top of yeah i'm not sure of the exact term i don't know if it's called the bridge. i think it's called a bridge so do you guys just remove the bridge completely or do you just have like a smaller one that allows it to connect with the the neck portion no the or? bridge is the bridge is there. Um, so, so the bridge is at the bottom, like near where you're bowing. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a small piece um, and it kind of like the strings come out of, um, I don't know where, what that would be called, where they come out of, but there's a small section of the string before the bridge at the, at the very bottom. Yep. Um, so you're supposed to bow above the bridge, but you could below beneath the bridge on like that small little section and you can make some weird like mechanical sounds that way also. Oh, cool. That's awesome. So you're you're almost you're not necessarily playing it wrong. You're just not bowing where you should be, essentially. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, basically. Awesome. Yeah, no no disrespect to the cello. No, <laughs> no I appreciate that. Thank you for uh, walking me through that. Yeah, no problem. Well, gentlemen, I want to say thank you again for joining me today. I do appreciate your time, and I can't wait to listen to the new music. Cool. Well, uh -huh. thank you very much for thank the you. interview. It was great. fun. Yeah, it's good to be here, man. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next time on Gyro Nation Metal. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. The podcast can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you would like to support this podcast, please consider checking out my Patreon. Thank you.